Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. Talked about um, the contract, the covenant, the legal terms like thereto and disannulled. We talked about that last Sunday. This morning, we'll look at how clearly and plainly the application of this covenant principle is that God has given us. One, we have to promise God to Abraham, this promise that God gave to Abraham, we know it cannot be disannulled. 430 years later, the argument is, well, the law came. Doesn't that disannul it? No, it's just the law came, but it doesn't disannul. God gave both the law, but it's important to understand this morning. The law doesn't rule out, it doesn't void out, it doesn't disannul the promise. And number two, God never intended the law to void out the promise either. So we want to get that thought wrapped around our head. Look in verse 17 in Galatians chapter 3. It says, and this I say that the covenant that was, here's the words, confirmed before of God. Who performed the confirmation? God did. What now did Abraham do? God confirmed it, but look at the end of the verse. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. So we see that God performed the confirmation. God confirmed this promise. God gave it to Abraham by promise. What did Abraham do? Abraham believed the promise. He believed the promise. Now this covenant, let's go back to Genesis chapter 15. The covenant was confirmed before God. Let's look at and develop this thought this morning. Confirmed before of God. Genesis 15. Let's see if we can glean some insight out of out of this scripture. Genesis 15, we'll start reading at verse number eight. Look what the Bible says. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? Talk, we saw Abram earlier, and you know, we're down now and 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 in verse number nine it says, and he said unto him, Take me in the heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a partridge in a pear tree and a, no, and, a, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them. And they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that 
when the sun went down, here's what we're going to look at, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Now, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Let's go back and let's try to digest at least some of this. We can't preach all of it in one message and, and at this time. But Genesis 15, verse number 8, it says, And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit? Inherit what? Offspring. He's asking the Lord, how will I know? Now, let's just take a little rabbit trail. How will you know? How will I know that we have eternal life? First John 5, 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye had eternal life. No. That ye have. In the present, right now, hello, we have it. And that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Wrapped in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. It says that believe and ends with that you may believe. And you can know some things. How do you know that you had eternal life and can now lose it? No. How do you know that you have eternal life? The wording specific have right now in the present. You have it if you believe the promise. That believe on the name of the Son of God. That you may believe on the name of the Son of God. It couldn't be any more clear. It's right there. Sandwiched in between. What you can know and what I can know. We can know that we have eternal life. Now if you were brought up in franchised religion. You might not know that. You might believe that you've got to keep doing or do some things to get it and or keep it. You believe in the name of the Son of God. You can know that you have eternal life. That's how you know. I'm just not sure if I have eternal life. I'm just not sure. I think I might have lost it. Oh, well, did you believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. I did that. I really did. You really did that? You believed on him? You're not trusting in your own merit? Yeah, I did. I believe him. Okay, well, then that's how you'll know. How? By believing. It's that simple. Yeah. It's that simple. Now, we can we can pull out a side drawer and start preaching against sin and how we should live our life, how we should clean up before God. We can do all that. But I'm not putting that in the same box as salvation. I'm not telling people to quit drinking so they get into the kingdom. I'm telling people to believe on the name of, Je of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then after that, well, now we'll give them a hard sermon against liquor and all that. But it's not to get saved. It's to get right and live a healthy, clean, holy, righteous life before God. Why? To keep it? No. Because you're so grateful for what he gave you. You can know things, especially that you have eternal life, by believing, believing, believing. The only way you'll know is by believing. You don't need anything else. Now in verse, let's we finish at eight. So now we're on nine. Let's read. I want you to pay attention. 
Let's read 9 to 12, and let's pay very, very close attention. Watch this. And he said unto him, this Abram, take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle of and a young pigeon. They took unto him all of them, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece, one against another, but the birds divided not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them all away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. Now, if you grew up on a farm or you live on a farm or you do any type of chores with animals or pets, it, sometimes it's a chore not only for you to go out and feed the sheep, not only for you to go out and feed the dog, not only for you to go out and tend to the cattle, but you tell the kids to go do that. There's sometimes a rub. Well, I'm still sleeping. I don't want to get up. I don't want to. Abram did all this. You know, a lot of times your kids do chores or you do a chore and you expect a reward. A lot of it is you go out and do some farm chores. Now you can come in and have a nice, hot, healthy breakfast. I enjoy breakfast after getting out early in the morning and doing a little bit of work. I just enjoy it more. Um, I don't know if you can relate to that or not. Abram does all these things. He don't get a hot breakfast. He don't get a reward. He did everything God told him to do. He made the sacrifices. And look at verse number 12. It says, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and a horror of great darkness fell upon him. God gives Abraham a promise. And then right afterwards, a horrific nightmare. Where's the blessing, God? Where's the light, God? You mean all I get is a horror of darkness? All I get is a nightmare? Here's why I want all of us to pay attention. Don't expect an immediate reward from God after you offer him a turtle dove or a ram or any type of sacrifice to God. God, I've witnessed all these people, and what? You want, a, you want a reward? You want a blessing? Expect to go to sleep and wake up in a horror of darkness. Just because God has given us a promise, just because we offer our bodies a living sacrifice, shouldn't we do that, Romans 12? Isn't that reasonable, Romans 12? I hope we're not doing that because we're expecting a reward because God might just give us a horror of darkness. We shouldn't expect an immediate reward. Um, I have done this so many times. And if you think about it, I'm sure you can relate. You've done, you've done something for God. You've done something that's right. But the reward isn't there right now. And you think, wasn't this right? You start doubting what you did. Should I have? Maybe I should have. How come this? Maybe there's a time 
that you just need to go through the horror of darkness. God, I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to give up drinking. That one alcoholic drink that I have every Friday night, Lord, I just want to unwind. And that's why I do it. There's my excuse, God. But I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to quit. I'm going to make a sacrifice. Lord, I'm going to stop looking at the profane stuff on the Internet and the computer. And I'm going to stop listening, Lord. I don't want my ears listening to that music anymore. Lord, I'm going to give up the smoking. Lord, I'm going to give more money to your work. I am, Lord. Now, where's my reward? Don't we think like that? We do. We do. Don't expect the reward to follow. You might get a horror of great darkness. Lord, I fasted. Lord, I prayed. Lord, I witnessed. Lord, I lifted my voice open air. You might not get immediate gratifying fruit. You might get a report of bad news. You might get a report of some dark time now that you've got to deal with. I know it's not fun. I've been there. I know you have been there. It isn't fun. Bible says in Romans 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, so you can get a reward? No. So you can get compensated? No. Because you're just so good and sweet and snuggly that you deserve a blessing. No, 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 no. Why? It's reasonable because. It's because it's your reasonable service. It's reasonable. That's the only reason. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Not because you get a blessing, but because it's your reasonable service. Why then is it reasonable? Because you already got the blessing. Because you already got the promise. Because you've already received everything that you can ever want. Freedom from being a servant. He saved and bought you with his blood. You got the reward. You already got it. You don't need anything else. Praise God when he gives us additional things, right? But the horror of darkness or the trial or the suffering or the bad news, it's bad. Nobody's making light of that. The text doesn't make light of that. But we serve God because it's our reasonable service and it's reasonable because we already got the reward. Praise him for it. I think we're going to go to Daniel 3 and get through this. Let's do that. Let's get Daniel chapter 3. And Daniel chapter 3, and we're going to look at, let me read, you get Daniel 3, I'm going to go back here to Genesis real quick, Genesis 15, and uh, stay in Daniel 3, but to, to get into this thought, the last verse that we read in Genesis 15 was verse 17, and it says, And it came to pass that when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Now, the furnace 
pictures the suffering of Israel. They suffered in Egypt. They suffered under the, the Assyrian. And they're going to suffer in the tribulation. In the great tribulation. So that's what the furnace pictures. The lamp pictures the deliverance of Israel. Three times they go through affliction. Three times God will be there to deliver them. Out from Egypt. Out from under the Assyrian. Now the tribulation. God's going to be there to deliver them. The furnace and the lamp. The suffering and the deliverance. Specifically the deliverance of Israel. Daniel chapter 3. It's funny we're in Daniel chapter 3. And it's funny that there's three Hebrew boys. And we'll read the text. And we'll get the rest of it. Daniel chapter 3. Look at verse number 20. And he commanded. That. Well, let's go to verse 19. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury in the form of his visions, which change against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Took the three Hebrew boys. He didn't call them by their Hebrew names, by the way. Therefore, he spake. He gave them Babylonian names. Therefore, he spake and commanded that they should heat. Here it is. The furnace. One seven times more than it was wont to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. There's the furnace. Then those men were bound in their coats, their hosen and their hats and their other garments and were cast into the midst. But here it is again, the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar the king was a stony. Here they are, those three Hebrew boys in the furnace, the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar the king was a stony, rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. The form of the form is like the Son of God. God will be with you, and he will walk you through the furnace. There weren't three Hebrew boys in there going through affliction. There wasn't the nation of Israel going through the bondage of Israel, the bondage of the Assyrian, the bondage of the uh, of what's to come in the tribulation. God is going to be there walking with them and delivering them. And the same thing with these three Hebrew boys. God is with you in the midst of the furnace. He is with you in the midst of the darkness. All the horrors of that, God keeps his promise. He confirmed that he will not leave you. He will not forsake you. Praise his name. The Bible says, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, the light unto my path. The Bible says, for thou art my lamp, O Lord, and the Lord will lighten my darkness. We have a lamp, and it's in the Lord. It's in his word. It doesn't matter the darkness we're in. He is there. He made a promise, and he's going to keep his promise. If you're convicted of your sin, that's the furnace. God is right there with the lamp of pardon. 
You're going through a difficult time, an affliction, a suffering, a darkness, a trial. God is right there with a the lamp of comfort. You can't stop God's promise. You think it is because you're going through something. But God is always right there. That's why he is the deliverer. If you add works, it will make God unfaithful to his promise. Anthony's trying to get us to understand in Galatians chapter 3. Make the sacrifices, which is what Abraham did. He didn't get in the meeting before. That doesn't nullify the promise. We've got some time of darkness. You and I have a promise. God's not going to leave us. He's not going to forsake us. We know we have eternal life. Why? We believe. Trust him. Trust him. He'll be there to walk through anything you need to walk through. If you can get God's blessing by keeping the law, that would not only make God a liar, but even more specifically, what we're looking at now, let's see, it would make him unfaithful. I guess you could use those two words interchangeably, but I want to park on God's faithful. You're not going to make him unfaithful. He's not going to make himself unfaithful. I'm going through some tough times. God must be unfaithful. No, you might be unfaithful to God. I might be unfaithful to God. Hello. But he is not unfaithful. Galatians chapter 3. Let's go back there. Galatians chapter number 3. Verse number 18, for if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. So God, he grants the promise. We get that. And it says God gave it. That means it remains in, in effect. He's interested in giving, by the way. And that's the reality. That's the, that's the truth of the matter. God gave it. Romans 4, 14, the Bible says, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. The law ain't going to make you an heir. And it's not going to make me an heir. This is why we ask people, do you think you're a good person? Do you think you've kept the commands of God? How are you doing on the standard of the Ten Commandments? How are you doing on the standard of any of God's commandments? Not so good. That should show you that law-keeping is not going to make you an heir. It's got to be another way. God gave a promise. By promise, he says. God gave it to Abraham. The end of verse number 18 in Galatians 3. By promise. His promise is by grace. He kept the law. That's why he sent Christ. God. No. Let's look at Romans. And let's get verse. Let's go to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to close with some thoughts here. Romans chapter number 4. Verse number 16. The Bible says, therefore, it is of faith. That it might be by grace. God saves by grace. Romans 5 verse number 15. And the Bible says. And the gift by grace. 
which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. The gift is by grace. That's how God has saved and will always save, by grace. Romans 11, verse number 6, the Bible says, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. How do you get someone to not think that they're good enough to get to God? They have to understand. They got to get a hold of what grace is. How many people have you and I talked to and they're thinking, they're Worldview is literally, I have done more good than bad. Their thinking literally is, I'm not, they watch TV and they say, I am not burning buildings and rioting and looting and acting like that. I am a good person. Aren't they? If we look at our lives, aren't we good People, most of us here are saved and we don't go out drinking and we don't abuse our spouse or our children or our grandchildren and we actually keep a job and we work. Aren't we good people? Lord, this is the thinking that permeates our culture. And we lose the understanding of what it means by grace if we think we are good enough. And a lot of people think that they're good enough and they've lost understanding God's grace. We have to get them to realize that they're not good enough. And that down here on earth, yes, they might do some good things and yes, they might be a good civil person but not before God because and if by grace then it is no more of works works plays no part in it we got to be able to park there and spend some time with, with people on those issues let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter number two and you have he quickened that means to make alive and to never die again who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's where people are. You knock on somebody's door, you give them a gospel track, it's a dead person. Yeah, but they're alive and breathing. I know, physically they are, but they're dead spiritually. Where in time past, ye walked according to the course of this world. Don't forget that. That's how you remember God's grace. According to the prince, the power uh, of the air, the spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience. That's the forces we're fighting. That spirit, among whom also you had our conversation in times past, the lust of our flesh, the desires of the flesh, of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, Christ, or hath quickened us together with Christ, and here it is, by grace are 
by grace ye are saved. By grace you are saved. By grace you are saved. By grace you are saved. It's grace, 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 grace. None of it has to do with anything that you can merit by your works. We have got to pull people back to that. That's the promise that God made that he would save by grace. Verse 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. And here it is. We'll finish with this. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift. Not our gift. It is the gift that everyone needs to receive of God. And the promise is it's not of works, lest any man should boast. No room for boasting in our salvation or anything that we can bring to God. All of our boast is in Christ, saving us by his grace. If you haven't done so this morning, you can put your faith and trust in the object and the merit of Jesus Christ. And he will save you by his Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.